Thank you, everyone, for tuning in again to join us at Cultured and Country Unscripted, the show where we like to let people kick their shoes off, relax a little bit, talk about what's going on in their world, how they got to where they are, and what's also going on in the world around us. Today, we have none other than my good friend. He is a, a superstar. I tell him this all the time. He's my favorite rapper. He don't even know it. But um, this man has done everything from working in the Obama administration, working at HHS, being a wonderful and courageous speaker about health care across this entire country. None other than the one, the only, Mr. Anton Gunn. How are you good, sir? I'm doing fantastic. How you doing? Man, I'm hanging in here. I'm hanging in here for a country boy. Yeah, I know how it is. So since we got our shoes off, I can call you T. I ain't got to call you Mayor. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's that's it. I, I prefer to just go by T. I, I think until I did actual graphic, me and my cousin went back and forth on it. He was like, you don't want to put mayor on it? I'm like, uh, should I? He's like, what other mayor got a podcast? I don't know none. I'm like, hmm, good point. So <laughs> exactly. I was like, that was that simple, right? But yeah, man, I, I appreciate you taking the time out. I know you're busy, um, especially with everything going on, like I said, in the world around us. But I know we're going to really get into it. But if you listen to some of the other podcasts, I like to give people opportunity to just say, like, where are you from? Um, <laughs> my way of asking the question is, Mr. Gunn, where did you, where do you hail from? Where, um, th that's a question that, you know, I'm glad you asked it because I don't ever really get asked that question a lot. I mean, I've been in South Carolina the vast majority of my adult life, and so many people believe that I'm born and raised in South Carolina. Yeah, I thought you were from Elgin. Right, right, right. <laughs> that, that, that couldn't be further from the truth, man. Um, I'm from, and I'll, I'll be real clear, I'm from the 757 of Virginia. And for those who don't know, what the 757 is, it's a seven cities in Hampton Roads, Virginia. When I grew up, we called it Tidewater. And I was born in Portsmouth. I went to elementary school in Norfolk. So I really consider Norfolk home. My mom grew up in Norfolk. Her mom grew up in Norfolk. And her mom's mom grew up in Norfolk. So oh, wow. I'm Norfolk through and through, but I was born in Portsmouth. And my dad is from Portsmouth. His family's from Portsmouth. And few famous people from, from those parts. You know, if you ever put on anything with the words Perry Ellis on it, Perry Ellis is from Portsmouth, Virginia. If you've ever listened to Missy Elliott, Missy Elliott is from Portsmouth, Virginia. And, you know, everybody knows about Timberland and Pharrell and all those from Virginia Beach. Uh, so that's home for me. So Hampton Roads, Tidewater is home. Oh, wow. See, and, and that's the thing. Like like you said, like you, most people don't ask because – when I say answer and gun, they were like, Oh yeah, oh yeah, gun. He's from Columbia, right? I'm like, um, no. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Nope. <laughs> I'm like, no. <laughs> but um Portsmouth, yeah, when you said that, it, it reminded me I just finished reading um Timberland's book. Um, I know I'm a couple years late, yeah. but man, yeah, that's a pretty good book. Yeah, yeah. Really good. Real I'm I'm truly impressed. But hearing that Missy was from there, I mean, and anybody that knows you knows how big of a a hip hop head you are like yes it's only a handful of us political guys that are true hip hop heads not just people that listen to music no no shots right. not taking no shots but right. you know they out there i'll take them <laughs> i'll take them 
<laughs> Zach suck MCs, but um, so but good. Like I I know me and you, like I said, we talk all the time. But to get into how you feeling about, I mean, just cutting on the TV. I can't even say the news anymore. It's just TV in general or cutting on, you know, scrolling down your timeline. Like with everything going on, what, what's your take on it? Man, uh, I will say this. Um, it's hard to turn on the TV. And for, for years, I've been doing something that I, I usually do it twice a year. And I haven't done it yet this calendar year. I do something called a mental fast. And the mental fast is where I turn off the TV for 30 days. No television for 30 days, no news. I don't read the newspaper, no news magazines. I don't, uh, I'm not on social media. I'm completely blacked out from technology intake or any information intake, if you will. And the only thing that I do consume are good inspirational books or inspirational podcasts or maybe audio CDs. And I need a mental fast right now because I'm exhausted, mm. and um, I know plenty of other black folks that are exhausted, and it's exhaustion around what's happening with George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery. And you can go on and on and on. There's a level of exhaustion, but I think the thing that has exhausted me is you and I are called to a higher standard, and mm -hmm. what do I mean a higher standard? When you make a decision to serve in public office, you basically are taking an oath to get above the fray and stay above the fray no matter what's going down. You you don't have the luxury of sitting at home and crying because you got constituencies that need you to show up. Yeah. And although I'm no, no longer elected, you know, I have major responsibilities. I lead people in a lot of places, work with organizations. I got clients calling me. Uh, asking me, what what do we need to do? So I don't have the luxury of checking out and just getting into my emotions. And that can be exhausting to have to continue to carry the burden of leadership in the middle of our most difficult times. Oh, man. And that's why, you know, I, I've been trying to tell people, um, you know, if you've ever been on a plane, and I know a lot of people ain't flying right now, but I'm pretty sure you've been on a plane. That flight attendant gives you great instructions as a leader. And the flight attendant, first thing she says when they run in through the safety procedures, after they tell you to strap on your seatbelt, they tell you if things get bad, if we face some turbulence, if the air pressure drops, if anything goes wrong, these things are going to fall from the ceiling. And when they fall from the ceiling, you need to put it on yourself first before you try to help somebody else. Exactly. Because they recognize if you try to help somebody put their mask on and you don't have your mask on first, you might pass out for lack of oxygen trying to help somebody who needs oxygen. So what I feel about what's going on, I'm exhausted. And so what I've made an intention to do is to turn off the TV and to focus on my mental and emotional health so I can be prepared to help people the way I need to help them. Oh man, that I never thought about. Honestly, I never thought about it in that way because of 
the calling that we have. Yeah. And yeah. I, I know, you know, I, I call you when I get burned out. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that, that, that's heavy, but it makes you think you're, you're exactly right. Because a lot of times when you're in this space or you have a, a seat at the table for lack of a better way is folks don't recognize that the work that you've been doing prior to the reckless and some of the foolishness that happens in the world is preparing you so that it doesn't happen to the people you lead. And I I look at it for, for my role in my community as a mayor, you know, my community is 65% African-American but we're in one of the reddest counties in the state. We're in Edgefield County. And so, and not just making it political, let's, let's just call it what it is. It's people people with differences, let's say that. But it's also people with differences that give us an opportunity to mend those differences. Because in, in an area like Johnston, some things we, we don't have, per se, but it's also because of communication and you know, I, I've read all your books. So because of communication and proper leadership, not just good, but proper leadership, we can get ahead of the curve. So I, I feel you. That's what we've been doing. And hats goes off to, you know, my city council members and my, my chief of police and the other chiefs in the county for trying to be ahead of it. But you're right on the, the mental drain portion. Like, I, I tell you, man, I've, I've been checking out – checking out, but then having to check back in, checking out, having to check back in, and the anxiety that causes playing like double dutch with, with life. Mm-hmm. It's a heavy burden. It is, truly. But, is. but I, have, I have a question. But, you know, I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, before you ask your question, I just want to say it is a very heavy burden, but I, I believe this also, T, we are built for this time. Mm-hmm. And what do I mean built for this time? Like you and I both, have friends that we've known a very long time that they've known us when we didn't have the title, when we didn't have the platform, when we didn't have the stature, when we were in the street, if you will. And some of those friends are either still in the same place or maybe they in a place that's not too far from where we all were, but you and I have been afforded opportunities and Um, blessings, and we took some risk, and we have now put ourselves in a position that we know more and that we have the ability to do more. Mm. And because we know more and we have the ability to do more, we are called to do what we have the capacity to do. The worst kind of person is the person who has the ability and the capacity to do something but doesn't do it. Yes. They sit on the sidelines and they sit idly by. So it is a great burden uh, to us both and a great burden to other people who are in that position. But look, when the lights are the brightest, when the game is on the line, when it's game seven and a bucket needs to be made, they throw in the ball to us and they're expecting us to score. And we have the ability to score. So we just got to protect our mindset keep clear, be thoughtful so we can deliver on that. Man, see that y'all hear this man. See, this is why he he's a, he's a motivational speaker. He travels all over the country. 
boy, you're so eloquent. You put it together so well. <laughs> Seriously. I'm just I'm just I'm just trying to as my boy Joe Madison on Sirius XM satellite says, I'm just trying to put it to where the goats can get it. You know, you want you mm. want to put it down there where anybody can nibble on it. Hey, that boy, yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that's gonna go in the, this book I'm working on. I'm I'm just calling it Dirt Road Logic. Like the things <laughs> I learned on Dirt Road. Like, you know what I'm saying? I, yes, sir. I, I grew up yes, in a dirt road, a about a quarter mile, no, probably a little over a quarter mile long, living in a double wide trailer, me and my mama. So <laughs> dirt road logic. But but with that said, it, it makes me it makes me think about um I'm not sure if you had a chance to read it. Um, most people probably have. But it was just a real quick piece from President Obama. Um, And and to me, it made all the sense in the world because a lot of us in these positions, like, hey, I'm, hey, brother, I'm with you. The people that's frustrated, ain't no other way to say it. They they just pissed off at everything. And they just want to be heard. They want to be seen. But a lot of times they aren't being seen or heard by people that look like them. So, their message or their frustrations get lost in translation. Like it's some people that'll see see folks gather and protest and and march. Um, I'm not talking about when things turn, where people are are harmed and hurt. And you know, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when people just like, hey, see me, hear me. And I think the, I think President Obama did a great job of saying like, hey, this is an opportunity for real change. But he also educated the people, and that's something me and you always talk about. Like people get mad at the president. Like, like there is some people that are mad at Trump right now. There's people that before were mad at Barack. There's people that were mad at Bush. And it's like, hey y'all, a lot of this stuff starts right in your backyard with the elections that no one goes to. So. How are you feeling about that? I know that's a part of your platform too, just like organization, like people getting organized. Like, what's your take? Yes. So, so I I would say this. I think you're exactly right. I think, you know, it's, you said a whole lot of things, and and in the context of what um, President Obama said is this: that there are a lot of young people that are not being heard. Okay. And what I want people to understand is that communication is a two-way street, two-way street. Okay, I want you to hear me, but I also have to communicate in a way that you can understand. Because if you yell at me in Portuguese, I don't understand Portuguese. And exactly. so, is it my fault that I don't understand Portuguese, or is it your fault that you don't speak the language that I speak? Is it my fault? that I didn't go find an interpreter to help me to understand what you said? Or is it your fault that you didn't bring an interpreter with you to make sure I understood what you were trying to say? So I first think that communication is a two-way street, and there's a lot of people who are unheard right now. And to some degree, it's because there are people who aren't trying to listen to them and could very well hear them, but also there's some people who are not specifically articulating what they want. Yeah. And what what I think President Obama's overarching message is, this is an opportunity to make change because whether people are hearing you or not, right now they are paying attention. Mm-hmm. 
If I tell you the number of people who have texted me in the last seven days asking, hey, what can I do to help? Hey, I'm not, I, didn't, I don't know what to say or what not to do. Hey, is there something that I can read? Is there somewhere I can go to get some information? Is there something that I can do? I just had a friend of mine from Las Vegas, a woman in Las Vegas, white woman, you know, very smart, very capable, very friendly. We've been cool for a while. And she texts me out of the blue, and she sends me an image of four books that she just bought on Amazon, uh, How to Be an Anti-Racist, The New Jim Crow, and White Fragility. Mm. And she says, I have no idea how many Amazon usually stocks, but I've ordered all of these. Please let me know if there are any other books I need to be reading. My goal is to read them by the end of this month. Wow. Now, here's what's so powerful about that in in a threefold. So number one, the average American only reads one book a year. The average American only reads one book a year. She just asked me for five. Right. Very heartbreaking on that point. But she's going to read five. Mm-hmm. Okay. And all five of them are about understanding racial injustice and systemic and structural racism that impacts people like you and I and the communities that we have come from. And if nothing else, those books, that reading, that understanding will make her hear differently. So yes. the same people who are screaming today or yesterday might be the same people screaming 30 days from now, but she'll be able to hear differently. The second part of that is the opportunity for change for those unheard is what are you reading on how you need to communicate more effectively to get the changes that you want? And what do I mean? What are you reading? Does the average person know that most municipal elections the margin of victory is between 300 and 700 votes. Yeah, most people don't know. (laughs) With 700 people, you can elect a mayor or you can get rid of a mayor. Mm -hmm. You can elect a city council member or a city council chairman. You can get rid of a city council chairman with 700 people. Now, how many of these rallies have had way more than 700 people out in the streets marching and protesting? All of them. Exactly. But with 700 people, you could elect a mayor who hires a police chief, and that police chief sets a culture that says, as long as I'm chief of police in this city, we will not have anyone die at the hands of a police officer unless they are wielding a weapon and firing or trying to kill one of my officers. And we're going to have a use of force policy that allows my officers the skill and the capability to de-escalate and disarm situations so nobody dies. And my mantra as the chief of police is zero harm. Wow. And so 700 people can get that kind of chief or 700 people can stay home not know the process and allow the kind of leadership that have been in multiple cities that has led to the death of many people unnecessarily. Yeah. And so what do you know about the process? What are you learning about the process? Do you learn why voting matters? I mean, I got into an argument and I, when I say <laughs> argument, 
it was friendly. I got into an argument with some young people who were very passionate about all of the things that were going on. And, and they say, what can we do? And I said, you need to do a voter registration drive right now. Exactly. And they were like, what does voter registration got to do with what happened in Minneapolis? They ain't got nothing to do with nothing. Why would I be worried about registering to vote when you got um, people being killed by police in the street? And then I showed them a news clipping of President Trump at a law enforcement officers conference, basically from the stage telling them that they should use more excessive force when patrolling the streets. Mm. And so I said, the president of the United States told cops to be more aggressive with people. Now, when he says that, who could he be talking about? Is he talking about people like him or is he talking about people like you? And if so, why would you sit on the sidelines and say that voting and registering voters doesn't matter when leadership matters? And you got a leader who's saying one thing and you are now seeing the manifestation of it in a community that leads to a bad result. So you got to connect the dots with people and you got to, young people got to want to connect the dots. you're you're exactly right. Um, they have to want to understand, because because going back to your points, kind of I guess walking it backwards, is if you look at that that example of that rally, or yeah, you look at example of that rally, those police officers don't work for the federal government; they work for the municipality. So Correct. for those young people that are talking about like, what will this vote do? If you change who their boss is, you change the outcome. Like, most people don't understand that in a strong mayor form of government, that's what I am, but then you'll look at some larger cities where they have uh, basically the the executive power is left to the administrator. And you create all kind of chaos at that point because city council members are frustrated and ticked off because they – they don't have any authority. Even the mayor kind of becomes a figurehead in that example. So when when bad things happen, most people don't even know who to march to. They're marching to the mayor. They're marching to the person they've seen on, on TV or on the news or to the city council member that they know when it really lies on the administrator who was appointed by the people you elected who thus far then appointed the chief that is the supervisor of these officers. So it's like folks got to understand the system, like really get involved with the system. I always say, like, you take your car to a mechanic because you don't understand it. Right. Why not take your issues and your grievances to the book, to the library, right. to the Internet? Yeah. Like, understand what the system is. Um, I don't know, kind of a tangent that just popped in my head as we were talking. Like... Some people, some people know me. They know my story. They know my past or whatever. But I, young me, young Terrence was a real frustrated guy, right? Frustrated, ticked off at the system. You know, I, I'd seen cops with my, my father. Um, at a very young age, my father was in prison, different things like that. And he really wasn't really in my life to that regard. But I was still full of anger, like most young, young teens, right? I'm in the country, so I don't have nothing to do. I'm mad at the world around me because I really didn't understand it. But one of my teachers, like, God bless her, she was like, 
baby, the best advice I could give you is that your frustration is out of fear. And your fear comes from ignorance. The sooner you start to educate yourself, you conquer the fear. And and you know me from way back, but when I was first considering even running, and you were one of the folks that told me, like, man, you know a lot more than you think you know. But truthfully, that all goes back to that one teacher when I was in the eighth grade, well, seventh grade, that taught me how to conquer my fear by educating myself. And I look at for folks that are frustrated and fearful and just just rah, just raging at at the sky almost. It's like, man, we can we can really make a difference and make a change when we all are educated because now we're playing the same game on the same playing field. Because they go back to your point about somebody screaming at you in Portuguese and even um, your friend that bought the books, she may have been one of those that was just hearing the Portuguese, but she bought yeah. the book to learn to translate what these yeah. people are saying. And now she could translate that to be um, in, the, in the words of my brother, Killer Mike, she could become an ally opposed yeah. to just someone, just a spectator. And so, Correct. I don't know, change, change is happening in the world around us. And it's, it's happening quick. Um, to kind of pivot, if you don't mind, because I, I know your, your expertise outside of just being a, a ang- no, I ain't say angry, a frustrated, <laughs> a frustrated black man like myself, your expertise um, is heavily in healthcare. And on top of everything that's going on in the world, it's almost like people then just threw the mask to the side and they out. But COVID is still out there too. Any anything you want to chime in with that? A whole lot. Um, so my primary focus, and you know this, is that you know I work in healthcare organizations to help leaders and organizations build world class culture. And that culture is around the people who work in hospitals and healthcare to take care of people like you and I. Because again, if we don't have our health, we don't have nothing. So I've gone to the root of trying to make sure that the people who work in the hospitals and the nursing homes, that they are as strong and as healthy as they can be emotionally. And that means they got to have a good management system and good leaders who treat them the right way. Now, here's what I would say to you that we've all seen because of COVID-19, how people are struggling right now. We have seen what COVID has done to, you know, millions of lives by just making them sick, but then more than 100,000 people are dead now. And, and we've seen how it's had an impact on our hospitals. I mean, the images of nurses and doctors who in the COVID units and hospitals all across the country have been, like, devastating to watch. And so we cannot play with this virus, y'all. I mean, this is this is like life or death. And the thing that when I was looking at all of these people outside at the rallies and protests, and I'm thinking, man, y'all are spreading COVID like nobody's business. Even if you don't think you're spreading it, you might be. People mm-hmm. got masks on, they got them half off, but they don't have gloves on their hand, okay? So if they touch somebody who does have COVID, and then they wipe their eyes or they rub their nose or anything, they could become infected. And we won't know the impact of this until 14 days from now. Yeah. And, and, it's, and it's dangerous because this virus is, is killing African-Americans in our state. I'll just kind of tell you, you know, where we live. And, of course, you know, these numbers are very similar across the country. 
50% of COVID deaths in South Carolina are African American, 50%. And we make up 47% or really 43% of positive COVID cases. So we 40, 43% of the people who test positive, 50% of the people who die from COVID, but yet we're only 29% of the whole state's population. Exactly. So it's dangerous out here, and um, we got to wash our hands. We got to stay home. We got to social distance if you can. And not everybody can. Some of us got to hustle for our living, and so we got to get out there and make it do what it do. And I understand that. And you got to do what you got to do, but you can still be safer by washing your hands, by covering, wearing a mask. See, I just got a bunch of new masks with my brand on it. Uh, so it's got my logo on it and my name on my mask. So I'm going to wear a mask, but I'm going to be on brand every time I go out. Dang. Same way some of y'all go out with your J's on and you on brand for Jumpman and in the Jordan brand for Nike, I'm going to be on brand for the Anton Gun brand. Hey, I've been looking for and a so, Ralph Lauren mask for a long time, but they don't have them. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, you, you got you to gotta search those out. But my, my context is, is it's dangerous. It's very very dangerous time right now. And for everybody that you know and that we know, I, I really feel like that we were going to have a normal summer, like a normal July in terms of being able to go out and socialize. Mm-hmm. But now I'm starting to feel that we're going to see an uptick in COVID positive cases in every one of these cities that had a protest. Yes. And we're going to see an, an uptick in every state that relaxed their uh, social distancing and keeping restaurants closed kind of deal. It's going to be devastating. And I'm sad about that, but I'm tell you what, I'm staying right home. I'm doing conferences and keynotes for clients right from my laptop in my home office over Zoom or over, you know, WebEx or GoToMeeting or whatever platform they choose to use. I can still deliver my content to help you to be a better leader, build a better organization, and make a difference for the people that you serve, and I can do it right from here. Hey, I, I totally understand that. Um, you, I don't know, you you bring a, a unique perspective to it because folks are, are just out. It's almost like people are forgetting. They're, they're forgetting what's going on. And I know for, you know, for the folks out here that, that have to, like you said, hustle to make a living, it's like still, it's it's not over. It's still time to keep no. keep going. And I think people are missing Man, that. Yeah, not only are they missing it, like, you know, I, I sent an email out recently um, to my mailing list, you know, and you can read it on my blog at antongun.com slash blog. And I, and I said that, the recent events around George Floyd is happening in the shadow of a global pandemic that is exposing the multi-generational inequities in our healthcare system. And I wanted to believe that COVID-19 was going to be the biggest and deadliest virus that we would ever see in our lifetime. However, you and I know that the really biggest virus, the most deadly virus in American history is racism. But yes. when you know what's so funny about it, and not funny, it's really sad. Both of these viruses are similar in nature. 
people infected with them don't know they have it. And even if they, if they do know, they pretend that they don't. There are other people who live like the virus doesn't matter. They pretend like it's not real, that it's not big of a deal. Some even might accuse me of blowing it out of proportion. And because of their blatant disregard for how that virus impacts other people, they spread it to mm. them. And the results are clear that it doesn't matter which virus you're talking about. One's been around for 100 days, the other been around for 400 days, but it don't matter which one you're talking about. Both of them are killing black folks. We're dying sicker and quicker than any other demographic. And they're allowed to spread because of how we live and how we think. Wow. One requires you to put a mask on. The other one requires you to take the mask off. And so I don't think people are paying attention to what we need to do about either one of these circumstances. And I, and I said that the recent events around George Floyd is happening in the shadow of a global pandemic that is exposing the multi-generational inequities in our healthcare system. And I wanted to believe that COVID-19 was going to be the biggest and deadliest virus that we would ever see in our lifetime. However, you and I know that the really biggest virus, the most deadly virus in American history is racism. But yes. you know what's so funny about it, and not funny, it's really sad. Both of these viruses are similar in nature. People infected with them don't know they have it. And even if they, if they do know, they pretend that they don't. There are other people who live like the virus doesn't matter. They pretend like it's not real, that it's not big of a deal. Some even might accuse me of blowing it out of proportion. And because of their blatant disregard for how that virus impacts other people, they spread it to mm. them. And the results are clear that it doesn't matter which virus you're talking about. One's been around for 100 days, the other been around for 400 days, but it don't matter which one you're talking about. Both of them are killing black folks. We're dying sicker and quicker than any other demographic. And they're allowed to spread because of how we live and how we think. Wow. One requires you to put a mask on. The other one requires you to take the mask off. And so I don't think people are paying attention to what we need to do about either one of these circumstances. Wow. And the COVID, the COVID one, we don't have a solution. Like, like we know some solutions to racism. We've had some brilliant, passionate, well-meaning people who give us a fact-based solution to how we stop racism from spreading. Yes. But we don't have a solution to cure COVID right now. The labs are working. The pharmaceutical companies are working. Researchers are working. They're all working, but they don't have a solution. And because I'm black, in my 40s, because, you know, I'm overweight than what I should be at my age. All of those things make me more susceptible to COVID-19. Mm. So we all got to understand that our family members can be hurt by this. Man, that is, hold on, man. It's like, I, I don't know, you said that. This is, I, I got to pause and, like, process. <laughs> hmm. This is like when I need a co-host. Somebody's got to jump in. And like, <laughs> oh man, yeah. 
that that's huge. Yeah. It, it's because like I I man. Yeah, I, I'm a little speechless. A little speechless. Well, but, I mean, it's it's okay because I think that the 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 result for me is is that we need leaders to do the right thing. So like as the mayor of your town, you got to do the right thing, which is take care of yourself first and then tell your people what to do. Yeah. And if they choose not to do it, make it minimum number of people that don't know how to do it. So so I always tell people, we would all would love a 100% solution. We, we would want 100% of everybody to stay safe, not spread COVID. But some people are going to do what they want to do regardless of what you say, regardless of what the experts say, regardless of what anybody says. And so they're going to go out here and spread it or get infected and have all kinds of complications. But I will tell you, if the leadership has the right mindset and lets the people know that they care for them, then most people will listen to you. And so an 80% solution of people staying home and being safe is better than a 0% solution. Yeah. We want a 100% solution, but we ain't going to get 100 No, But let's take that 80%. You're, you're exactly right. Um, all right, I'm, I'm ready to jump in now. I process, I process. I'm back, I'm back. <laughs> Um, but no, going, um, looking at COVID, yeah, that's, that's what happened here. I I remember the first case we had was back in, I don't know, I guess early March and it was out in the County. And that's when that started the relationship that I have now with DHEC, right? But even hearing about more cases as it came up and came up like throughout the County, not one area particular, there, there's no hot spot. Some people try to say, but anyway, um, you know, yet again, because I had a relationship with DHEC, we just did a community testing, I guess, uh, probably about two weeks ago. And we had a good turnout, you know, small town. We had a good turnout. We had 400 plus people show up. I think that, that was fantastic. Yeah, that that was great. Um, thank you to the partners at DHEC, the county, um, the school district, and, and self, self-regional. They came in and, you know, they really helped out a lot. But it, it goes back to making sure that our people in the community knew about what was going on, making sure that they had been already following the instructions. Because, you know, I, I did a few videos early on just to tell people, keep people up to date, let them know, like, hey, this isn't an anomaly. This is it's here. It's in our county. Y'all know what to do. Stay home. Stay home if you can. Create true social distancing. Don't be like, hey, well, I'm social distancing with everybody else, but I'm still going to my auntie house. Like, come on. Like, your, your auntie is still a, another person. She's your auntie, but she's still somebody that been around people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, wash your hands. We, we were trying to do a mass drive, but we could never acquire enough mass. Like, that was, it was tough. It was, it was, it was easy for me to get solar eclipse glasses during that time when mm-hmm. people were selling them for $50 a pair and to get $3 mask. So it, it's still out there. It, it's still going on. Um, but tackling back to to just racism, like, you know, obviously, I, outside of me being a mayor, I think I'm just a pretty decent human being. So I know people of all walks of life, all shades and colors. And, yeah, you still deal with with racism. And in a way where it may not be the people that you interact with, but like like me and you, we talked about this. It, it may not be those people as individuals, but the system itself. 
allows for racism to perpetuate. Like, if you know that you're being treated this way because you're white or Indian or whatever, that is a form. That's a form of racism. And you know that this person, male or female, like, you know this woman, because she's black, has been treated different. Like, you're not racist. I get it. But the system that you are benefiting from is. And by you not saying nothing, you're benefiting from direct racism that you may see, understand, and know. So how do we change the system where no one gets the, the quote-unquote, the, the special hall pass? No one gets the golden ticket. It's, it's equitable right. and fair for everyone. Correct. So Yeah, I, I, and I think, um, you know, the way I, way I explain when it comes to social injustice or racism or any of these isms that oppress, exploit, hurt, or damage people who are not on the winning side of the dynamic is like this. 50% of us don't even know anything's wrong. We never notice the injustice, the racism, the whatever. 50% of people are just what we call living in oblivion. They just don't see it. Mm-hmm. And so they just don't do anything because they don't know anything. They think life is grand. Yeah. Life and, is good. And you can't fault them people. Like, they don't know. Can't fault. And then you have 35% of the people who know that something is wrong, see something is wrong, but they feel powerless to do something about it. They either say, it ain't really my problem to solve, so somebody else should be solving that problem, or what little old me can do? I mean, I, I can't, I'm just one person. I can't do nothing. Or they make the excuse, I don't have the time, tools, talent, or resources to do it. And you know what? I feel bad for the person, but it ain't, it ain't my place to do anything. That's 35%. Mm-hmm. And then you got the 10% who are the smallest group in this bunch, 50, 35, and 10. The 10% believe that they, that they benefit from the injustice so they don't do anything but try to perpetuate it. They think they benefit morally, socially, politically, economically, financially. They benefit from the injustice. So that's 95% of people who are in that continuum. And then you got 5%. These are the people who I spend my time teaching and training. This is what all of my leadership development programs that I work all around the country are about is teaching you how to be that leader that's in the 5% who works every day to make things right for the people that they serve or the people that they lead. They, they work every day to end injustice, bigotry, inequity, unfairness, anything that's wrong, they spend their time trying to right it. And they follow a process and a behavior pattern to make things right. And the, the saddest thing about that whole continuum is not the 10%, because we always going to have a 10%, a, a minority who does the wrong thing on, person, on purpose because they benefit. Mm-hmm. That cop Chauvin is in that 10%. He did the wrong thing on purpose because he benefited from the power dynamic. His posture was that nothing was going to happen to me because I'm doing this. You can film it all you want, but he was unabashed that people were watching him take this man's life away. And he thought he could get away with it. That was his power. He Mm -hmm. was in that 10%. But just think about the 35%. 
the three other officers who were with him who watched him do what he did, and they didn't do anything to stop him. Or even the bystanders. I mean, there were at least 14 people out there watching this happen, but all they did was sit there and film what was going down. They didn't stop it. They didn't try. It ain't my responsibility. I don't have the power. I don't have the ability. These are four cops. What can I do to stop a cop? If one of those persons who were filming, or let's just say be real, if four people were who were filming and watching this had run over there and tried to pull that cop off of him, the cop would have had to get up because it was only four officers. They got one you know, person on the ground, George Floyd on the ground, and then four people ran up on him. They got to get off of his neck to deal with those four other people. Yeah. So maybe maybe he would still be alive if some people had just stopped watching and took action. Yes. But the main point is the 50%. Those people who never saw what was going on with George Floyd and those police officers. Or the 50% of the people who never knew that police brutality and violence and use of force aggression is real in America, or that even racism is real. They don't see it. Mm -hmm. So my question, are you in the 50%? This is what I ask myself every day. Are you in the 50%? Are you in the 35%? Are you in the 10%? Or are you in the 5%? Every day. I'm trying to live my life to be in the 5%. In every aspect, man, man, good brother, I hear you, I, I really do, and now you, mm, I tell you, man, you good at this, but because uh, <laughs> you you bring yeah, up a, a really good point, though. I mean, that is something that more people should ask themselves. Like you know, me, I'm sitting here nerding out, and I'm just thinking of of books and articles and things like that that I've read that. Like, people should just, you know, jump in and, like, understand or see it. Like, the one that, that just blurs out to me is um, uh, Malcolm Gladwell's Blink. And, you know, you, you think mm -hmm. about it. Those officers may have just got caught up. And they were yeah. in that, that Blink where, like, they didn't see, they didn't hear. And mm -hmm. they're just in that. They're in it. You know, like we've all been mm -hmm. in the, the hyper adrenaline rush, da da da. I'm not saying it's right, not saying it's wrong because we know what happened. But mm -hmm. coming out of that as an officer in that and thinking about the, the system itself, if if those four men would have robbed a convenience store, one person pulls the trigger, kills store owner. That person gets murdered. That that's a murder charge. Mm -hmm. We get that. Mm -hmm. But the other three folks, they're accessory to felony murder. That's the charge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like how that is now only happening, I don't understand. Like yeah. I, I've I've seen it, you know, I, I I've grown up. I've grown up, seen some stuff, know some people. You know, we we talked earlier about your your friends on the that may be from different walks of life of you now. But at one point, y'all spoke 100% the same language, and y'all received 100% the same news. And yep. so you got it. But, yep. man, Gun, I, I just want to say, like, thank you. 
thank you for lending your perspective to it all. And it's always a pleasure to talk to you. But you left me with some heavy stuff. Ooh. I need to take yeah, a drive after you know, this. <laughs> I, yeah, I would say, man, these are heavy times. And and what I've been trying to do is just be real reflective and real thoughtful. Not really measured, because I'm not, like, measuring my, my words or my language, but I'm just thinking, like, you know, what can I do to help people? What can I do to lead people down a path that is going to ultimately represent transformation, not just change, but transformation. Yeah. And it, and, and for me, all of this stuff, everything that we have talked about here comes back to leadership. It comes back to how you lead yourself. How do you lead those around you? How do you control what you can control? So you can't control everything, but the things that you can't control, what do you do? Like if I was chief of police, I mean, I, See, I know so much about healthcare, and and I don't want to get into a long healthcare and law enforcement analogy, but I'll just tell you that in healthcare, we put a lot of things in place to make sure we don't kill patients. Like, and when I see, I mean, a lot of things in place. I mean, we put a bunch of stuff, of processes, and people in place, so when you come in contact with a doctor or a nurse in in a hospital that we do everything right so at the end of the day when we finish, you can go back home to your family and your life and you're better from it, even if it is a negative reason why you're coming in in the first place. And so it's called high-reliability organizations. You probably never heard that term. Most of your listeners ain't never heard that term, but I want you to go and look it up. And high-reliability basically says in an environment that is highly complex and highly confusing, how do you build in a process to make sure that when things are complex and confusing and dangerous, that nothing bad would ever happen, that you have to have a mindset that 100% of the time when we have these type of encounters, that no harm is going to come to anybody, not Mm. me or not the person on the other side. Now, every hospital in America has that framework to how they deliver medicine and how they deliver care. But I can tell you that there are very few law enforcement departments that have ever even heard of the term high reliability. And if they did, and they operated from a leadership framework, like a high reliability organization, instead of having a thousand people a year die in police encounters, we would have none. Hmm. Man, see, gun. I, I, I can't, I can't even follow that because you got me. I'm, I'm sitting here jotting it down. I'm like, yeah, this, this is good. I, yeah, it's real, man. But what? Yeah, I, and we still have accidents, so accidents still do happen. Yeah. But in general, people don't die in healthcare encounters. No, no. I'm, I'm sitting here. I'm thinking about it. I mean. You know, like you said, like yeah, stuff still happens. Um, obviously, I, I I be I be remiss for all my listeners if I didn't. I know somebody's screaming right now. They was like, "Well, what about black women having having children?" We know that's that's a topic we we've talked about often, and I know you yes. can give me the. So yes, y'all y'all just stay tuned. Gun gun will be back for others. We but, can do a whole another show on that one. Yeah, exactly. That's what I want to do. Like I, I mean, I felt like this was. 
I definitely didn't want to be tone deaf to what's going on in the world around us. But I feel like this is an opportunity. One, get you on the show. Two, let's talk about it as two black men that are in leadership. And, you know, we didn't even get into, like, our own personal backstories of things that have happened. I, I tell people, yeah, I'm, I'm the mayor of this town, but I can tell you some stuff that happened to me as a teenager at the hands of police that, you know, mm-hmm. we don't have to talk about. Um, yeah, we both could have been George Floyd, man. Uh, yeah, there are times. There there are times. I mean, I can be totally honest. I, I, I know I'm not alone in saying it. Like, to, to see what happened to this man and to see what happened to so many people. I mean, to Aubrey in Georgia or to hear about what happened to Brianna. It, I mean, it's just it's so much, so much. Um, but, Gun. All right, so we gotta we gotta wrap it up, and I'm, I'm gonna bring it up to 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 a peak. We're gonna go back to to a higher note. Um, I like to close out the show. Generally, they they aren't this heavy. I almost feel like I'm sweating a little bit doing this one. Goodness. Um, <laughs> generally, they aren't this heavy, but for this topic, I guess I'm gonna change it up a little bit. Usually, I ask folks, all right, in closing, because you know the name of the show is Cultured and Country. And kind of like how Sway does with Sway's universe, and you become a citizen on culture and country, you become a cousin. So that means you're invited to my mama, Miss Jackie's world famous cookout. But for for the topic that we are having today, we're gonna change it up to a, a Sunday dinner, that good after church Sunday dinner, where everybody oh, yeah. got got the word all day, and now you want to feast. So she frying pork chops. You come on, man. Pork chop with the hot sauce, but <laughs> so yes, so the white bread. That's it. That's it. Would stick to the roof of your mouth. But <laughs> yes, sir. So with that said, this is this is gonna be a little different. This is not the cookout. I like I like this. I'm gonna pull this in more often. So what would you invited to Sunday dinner? The Cold Breath World Famous Sunday dinner. What would you bring? If you were bringing something, and what would you definitely have to leave with on your covered plate? You know how we say down south. It's your covered plate. So what you got? Um, so if I'm bringing something, I'm bringing dessert. I'm okay. bringing a, a, a deep dish Dutch crumb apple pie and some bluebell ice cream. Oh, yeah. See. Vanilla only. That's that port. That's that Portsmouth right there. Okay. Yeah, you got to you got to you got to finish it off with that. And uh, if I got to leave with something, if I got to make sure I'm taking a plate to go, I'm taking two pork chops and some collard greens. Oh, there you go. I was I was gonna see what you were gonna say. I was like, he gonna need some collard greens or some cabbage. But yeah, he went yeah, for the green. Collard, hundred percent collards. Well, I need a lot of them too. <laughs> hey, man. I, I know I always talk about blue marlin collard greens, but anyway, whole another conversation. But oh, they're real good. They are. They are. You put a little sriracha in them. Yeah. Oh yeah. So, gun man, I, I truly thank you for taking time out of your day um, for us to talk about this. Um, I really appreciate everyone that listened. And if y'all are, y'all are hearing from this man, you're hearing his story. You're you're hearing him share his expertise, but. I want you like um gun like shout out where people can find you, follow you. Yeah, so everybody can go to antongun.com. That's the home 
of all things Anton Gunn. Of course, you can follow me on Instagram at Anton J. Gunn, LinkedIn, Anton J. Gunn, Facebook, Anton J. Gunn, and Twitter, Anton J. Gunn. That's where I am. That's where I choose to be, and I'd be happy to meet you there. And if there's anything I can do to help, let me know. Man, well, thank you, sir. Um, This is the official closing. I appreciate it, and I'll be checking in with you. Really appreciate it, brother. Thanks again. Peace.